Hello and welcome to Minda Dialogue, episode number 151. This interview is with Annabel Kilner, country manager at Made.com UK, an online furniture retailer which is created by Ning Lee, Julien Khaled, Chloe McIntosh, and LastMinute.com's founder, Brent Hoberman, in 2010. Having recently held senior positions at MyDeco and sharing with me a past at L'Oreal, Annabel talks to us about Made.com's approach to disruption, how it fosters transparency, the unorthodox unboxed concept, the use of digital in their showroom, and much more. Plenty of good advice for those driving e-commerce. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T.com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Minter Dialogue. Today I am in special offices on Charing Cross in London, 100 Charing Cross, very special, at the headquarters of Made.com, and I'm with Annabelle. So Annabelle, tell us who you are, what you do, and what is your mindset? Hi, I am a country manager UK for Made.com, which means I'm primarily involved in... um, hitting our sales numbers and making sure that's in line with marketing spend. Um, so uh, responsibility for the UK P&L, but also really caring about the customer experience in the UK market. So what is that end-to-end journey from how they hear about us to what they discover on the website, how they purchase, and then the customer experience of actually receiving that product and the aftercare. Um, My mindset, um, well, my own personal mindset, I say, is to grab opportunities when they come along. Don't be afraid to take risks. Mm -hmm. I think for made.com, our mindset is to be disruptive. So we want to revolutionize how people buy furniture. Right. So tell us about this disruption that you've created. Because Made is born in England. Presumably the majority of the business is still in England. I'm not sure you'll tell us. And, And where is the disruption? How did it come around? So... We are five years old, um, and I'd say that MADE is still at a really exciting stage um, of growth. Um, So last year, in 2014, we grew 63% year on year. And how we've essentially done that is through growing steadily in the UK market, but also introducing new countries. So whilst UK is definitely dominant, we're also in France, Italy, and most recently, the Netherlands and Germany. So we're seeing huge international expansion. Um, but as a business, I think we're very focused on growing all those markets. So the UK still remains to be a very key market for us. And are you growing in England as well then? In the UK? Um, absolutely. Um, so from a sales point of view, we continue to grow at a very considerable pace, which mm-hmm. is always putting me and the team under pressure. Um, but... Um, I think the the strength of the brand is something that has really grown in the last couple of years and we've seen some fantastic momentum um, with awareness and that will only continue to grow from strength to strength. Right. So you guys definitely have notoriety in England, but you go into new countries, disrupting in new countries. How does that happen? I mean, sort of, you know, made, I don't even know how to say made in uh, German. 
<laughs> well, we we continue to use made.com um, and our, um, I guess our supporting line for that is great design direct from the makers. Um, and what we try and do in, in each country is essentially replicate exactly what we do in the UK. So any new product we bring out, which is actually two new collections per week, so around 30 new products at least per week, we are bringing those out in, the new, in all of our markets. What is the biggest disruption that, that you're bringing about? Because that, just to give us a little you know, insight really into the industry. So I think how we differ from the rest of the market is that we're very focused on value to the customer. So we are always about trying to make the cost as lean as possible. How that works in principle is that we primarily design all of the product ourselves. We get that made um, by a network of our makers, manufacturers, which are in China, Vietnam, Eastern Europe, India, UK. Um, So depending on the skill set required, we get that made into a prototype. We sample that. We then shoot that, put it on the website, and we order on demand. So there's no um, wastage in terms of stock. Um, That gets made for the customer, gets sent to the UK if it's not already manufactured in the UK, and then gets shipped direct to them. So there's also no warehousing costs. So how we differ is that we're incredibly lean in how we work as a business. Um, And the second thing is, I guess, this brilliant network of designers that we work with to bring out really original product. Um, and that is done on a weekly basis. So we've got fresh new content always to talk about and to, to, to excite the customer with. So I'd say that's fairly disruptive. Most of the industry work on a, a two-season cycle, very much like the fashion industry, where they're buying for autumn-winter and they're buying for spring-summer. We don't do that. We're ordering on a weekly basis on demand from the customer. All right. So tell us about how you manage the customer experience and make it a superior experience for them. So I think how we make it a, a great experience for the customer is really providing that beautiful quality and great design at a very affordable price. Mm-hmm. So that is our proposition to the customer. Mm-hmm. They may be waiting a little bit longer right. than um, if they're buying stock from a, yeah. from a company. But actually, if you look at most companies like John Nurse or IKEA, very few of those companies would actually have significant amount of stock of a, a sofa, for example, just because they're a big, bulky mm-hmm. item to, mm-hmm. sure. to warehouse. Um, but we work across that basis for all of our product collections. So you're, it, it's really that design focus and quality of materials and value that we're providing to the customer that makes us different. So Annabelle, we're at 100 Charing Cross Road. And one of the things that struck me about coming into your showroom was that your offices, uh, you can see them from the showroom. So I asked um, your, your um, marketing lady, uh, Amy, um, about that. And she said, yeah, well, because transparency is important for us. And I said, oh, that's cool. So tell us about your approach to transparency. And the thing that interests me is sort of where is the limit in transparency? Because there's IP and there's, of course, in, you have to be intelligent about transparency. So how do you manage that? So yes, I think we are as transparent as we can be as a business. I think where we aren't transparent with the industry is obviously in our actual design of our products. So they are original to us. And who we get those manufactured by is also something that we own. Because the last thing we want is those manufacturers to be targeted by competitors and for them to be rolling out a very similar product or the same product. Mm-hmm. So I'd say that's definitely where, where we um, ensure that 
there's a lack of transparency. But in mm. terms of the designer, the process that we go through, we always try to be as transparent as possible about that. But ultimately, the transparency is in trying to just give all the information to the customer they need about every little detail from dimensions um, of the product to packaging dimensions to make sure it fits in their home when it gets Mm -hmm. delivered to how long it's going to take, where it is in the stage of the journey, is it being made at the moment, when's it being shipped, when's it going to be dispatched. Um, So we try and give as much transparency as that as possible. The other thing we also drew do is try and compare prices to other similar types of product on the high street mm-hmm. so they get a view of of where that pricing sits among our perhaps competitor products that are out there on the high street. Another thing that's important I'm going to guess is the provenance of the items not the manufacturer per se but you know when you say or China, Vietnam or, or Romania or wherever they might be so how transparent are you about that? Because that surely is also something that people are more and more interested in, like in cosmetics, as you and I know from you know, L'Oreal experience. People want to know if it's being done by slave labor, child labor, and so on and so forth. Yeah, so I think on every product page, it says um, if it's manufactured in the UK, for example, it would say it's a UK manufactured product. It will say where, um, you know, the wool is from New Zealand in our rugs. Um, We talk about getting rugs made from India. So we are as as transparent as as we can be. Um, And um, I think that's an important part for customers to to know about. So made.com is an online site. That's where you come from. I mean, let's say that's your, your origin. And today, something that we can observe is that more and more online pure players are doing things offline. So you, you've, you've always had a showroom, as I understand it, and you've got this new one. You've invested heavily to have this kind of real estate to have it. So tell us about how you're allocating and looking at using offline to drive online. So I think offline marketing is very important to us um, and to the customer. I think it's actually where you can build more emotional connection with the brand, especially for new customers. Um, So everything we do from our showroom to a press ad to a tube advertising to TV is really about building that story around our brand and that emotional connection to intrigue the customer enough to then come to our website, which we then need to do a different job in getting them to understand Kind of quality and value and, and, and converting those into an actual customer. Um, we haven't always had a showroom. We only introduced a nice. showroom two and a half years into the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was actually partly done from a business point of view as well as a customer point of view. So we know that 90% of our customers are very happy to buy without even touching a product, getting a fabric sample. Um, and Many people probably thought that wasn't going to be the case, but we've very much proved that people are willing to just buy online without necessarily trying it out. Yeah, so, I mean, like shoes, you know, the, that was, you know, how can possibly yeah. buy a pair of shoes without trying it out? And, you know, tr- tr- you know, from an old mentality, you typically do want to feel the sofa, the material. Is it going to be soft and, you know? Yeah. And I think we've actually proven that's probably not the case. But I think from a business point of view, what we were very keen to do ourselves is to understand our own product Mm -hmm. so before we actually had a showroom very few of us actually saw any product that we'd made at all Mm -hmm. and now we get to see all the new collections come in and it really inspires the team and and drives a passion um, for the product Mm -hmm. and 
same with our business partners. They come to our offices, which, as you just mentioned, is with our showroom. And for them to engage with the product, really understand the quality of product that we produce and the different types of design and, and how beautiful they are, seeing that in the flesh is actually very important. Obviously, from a customer point of view, we're really delighted also to have those opportunities as well for customers if they want to, to come and, and view the product. Um, our strategy is not in the long term to roll out lots of different showrooms um, in the way that we set it up because, as you mentioned, there is quite a big investment into it. Um, we've tried to engage the customer in lots of different touch points, whether it's you know, the old traditional picking up a postcard and having all the product information mm-hmm. there to having NFC technology to get more information on their um, tablet or iPhone. Um, what we do want to do is encourage our customers to actually open up their own homes Mm-hmm. Um, as social showrooms. Yeah. Um, this so is your unboxed. Exactly. Right? So this is our new unboxed community where already you see a huge amount of customers adding photos of their home, which they're very proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, when they're, you know, they're designing for their home, are designing you know, according to their own style. They're putting a lot of their personality into it, and they're very happy to... Um, to to show that off and, and, and delighted to and so we have many customers adding photos of their own home with very little incentivization there at all mm-hmm. um, because they're proud of what they've done and potential customers ours then come onto the website see a Vittorio sofa in someone's home and, and you know at the moment are asking them questions about that sofa um, how comfortable is it how's it you know what's the wear been like over the couple of years and our customers are responding to that so they're being fantastic ambassadors mm-hmm. um, the next stage to that, which we're working on at the moment, is to say, well, look, I actually live down the road from you. Could I come and see that Vittorio sofa? And that customer goes to see the Vittorio sofa, mm. sits on it, loves it, goes and buys it, and the person who opened up their showroom gets rewarded for that. So this is so. This, let's say I have purchased my Victorian sofa and, and a strange, perfect stranger who's not even a customer, you're encouraging them to go and come over to my place, ring me up and come over, and I get rewarded for having someone come over and check out my, my sofa. That's that's our long-term plan. So at the moment it's done through the, very much through inspirational photos and for people to be in, engaging with them just on messaging. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're just starting some trials at the moment with actual people opening up their own home. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've seen that you have it on the site. I mean, and you can yeah. you can see other people's rooms and places around all over England anyway. For now, are you doing that overseas, or is that just for just for England for now? No, it's absolutely rolled out internationally. So everything we try and do in the company, we try and replicate in in every country. I mean, this is definitely not a, a normal. This is this is quite a disruptive behaviour. It is disruptive, but if you look at a company like Airbnb, mm-hmm. if you'd ask someone. Five years ago, would you open up your home and let someone stay in it? They probably would have said no. Yeah. And now they're very willing to, to let their home to mm. a stranger mm. they've never met before that's booked it. Someone was telling me that this is a little bit along the lines of wanting to share your your holiday photographs. It, you know, we have... It, we. In, in terms of the way people appreciate life, the idea of investing in their home is important for them. They have pride in it. And so it's an opportunity to share that, and that's become important for them, sort of like a why mm-hmm. for them. And, and, and do you feel like that's, what you're, that's why it's successful for you, this, this idea of showing your own insides? Absolutely. I think our customers have got fantastic style, and I think they are house-proud. 
and having the opportunity to um, have a platform to to showcase that is is great. There's obviously a number of interior designers on there, people that also are probably on Airbnb that have other motives as well. But we don't mind. At the end of the day, um, for our potential customers and customers, it's a fantastic source of of inspiration for them. The other thing that's great is it's brilliant content for us to talk about. And we can talk about trends that we see through it we know that our customers love talking about small spaces and how furniture fits in they love dark walls and how that works they love to have picture walls um they're passionate about gray and yellow so we also learn a lot from our customers about what are the trends and 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 learn from that as well and and bring that back into our our product design so materially you're talking about that you have your customers uploading their photographs and tagging it? How, how are you analyzing the trends that come out of that? Or is that from is it semantics? What, what, what are you doing to capture that data? There is a lot of analytics behind it. So everything is, is measured about kind of what's popular, what gets more likings, right. et cetera. So those kind of photos rise to the top. But I think actually just from a visual point of view, if you go on there, it's very transparent about mm-hmm. um kind of what are things the kind of yeah the things that are popular and, and visually kind of what is standing out in, in a lot of homes mm-hmm. so annabelle i want to get back to the the showroom you have because i, I must say when i came in and i wrote about it i really i thought it was a really nifty concept can you talk us through what is the concept from your angle annabelle mm-hmm. and and what has been some of the reactions surprises negatives and positives hopefully um lots of uh, in the way you've done it So um, we originally started our our showroom in our Notting Hill Gate office. Um, And actually, it was one of my first projects when I joined Made.com is to decide what this offline experience was going to be. Were we going to open some retail stores? We'd always talked about not being on the high street. Were we going to open pop-up shops and be in lots of different cities? Mm-hmm. Um, or were we going to open a showroom and where was that going to be? And as I mentioned before, I th- the conclusion we came to is the business really needs to understand it, get behind it and immerse itself in our product. And so for us, it was essential that it was with with the team. Mm-hmm. And so in Notting Hill, um, when we started off, it was a very unusual experience for the customer. They came to a 1960s office block. Mm-hmm. Um, they had to get into the office block, get up to the ninth floor. But when they got to the ninth floor, they were really wowed by mm-hmm. one, an incredible view, but also a kind of a cool mm-hmm. kind of immersive shopping experience where we had touch screens, augmented reality apps, um, postcard walls with the more traditional kind of postcards and you know product sets maybe arranged in a little bit of a different way to how other traditional retailers kind of work where we don't do room sets necessarily mm-hmm. we do kind of collection of four or five products to, together that don't necessarily um, wouldn't be something you'd necessarily put together um, we then obviously moved um, to Soho where we are today um, and I think what we wanted to do with Soho is really just think about a little bit more about what is it why is the customer coming and what is actually really useful does augmented reality mm-hmm. you know shiny, is, is it good or... no it, you know augmented reality is still really early days for our customer mm-hmm. um and so what we've tried to do with with soho is to again make it still a very theatrical experience for the customer mm-hmm. to make it a very different vibe it's it's not a kind of hard sell when you when you walk in but you can, you pick up a tablet, you can go to any product or the product on the postcard wall, tap it, get more information on that product, 
add it to wish list and freely walk around the showroom and do this with a number of products and then send it to yourself as a reminder of all the things that you loved when you came and visited. Mm-hmm. So I'd say that's our number one kind of tool mm-hmm. in kind of terms of conversion and really understanding what the customer is actually looking at. There's obviously lots of iPads and iMac stations around for the customer to also self-serve. Um, and that's what we very much want customers to do. In an ideal world, everyone would buy online. We know that's not realistic, so we've opened up spaces where people can see the furniture themselves. But again, it's still very self-serve when you walk in, and I think that's a, a, a good experience for the customer. Right, so from a business angle, Annabelle, how are you evaluating the success of it? I mean, you know, oh, it's really great. You know, mm-hmm. that's, you know that's sort of the obvious thing, but I mean, that's, that, that, that's not enough. Yeah. So how, how are you... What are the contours of your uh, ROI, should we say? Well, the benefits of our Notting Hill Gate showroom in an office block was that everyone had to sign in with an email address. So we were actually directly able to correlate the people that visited the showroom to then converting and how much they spent. So we know that typically we convert 30% of customers that come in. Um, Their average order value is 50% higher than those that shop online. Mm. Um, So on that basis, we knew that opening a new showroom in London with a certain amount of footfall is going to have the ROI that we require. Mm -hmm. When we've actually looked at different cities um, and how that could possibly translate, that's been harder for us. So when we're actually looking into different cities, so for example, we have one very near Leeds, we've looked at a very different kind of commercial model where it's actually on a commission basis with this Victorian mill that we're in, and that works for us, but we wouldn't commit to like a long lease in those mm-hmm. in that in that type of location. I mean, is it is it about location? Because I mean, if I take your Notting Hill example, which is Notting Hill Gate, but it was the ninth floor, and so it was sort of like there's sort of you had to find like a treasure hunt, as opposed to being on the retail on the site, you know, traffic street mm-hmm. with a lot of footfall. So, do you think it is it's it's more about the location, or is it about your concept that you know becomes a, a destination? At the moment for us, showrooms are really conversion tools as opposed to acquisition tools. So even in Soho, um, we're not really about the passing customer. We're about our customers letting them know that we have a space where Mm. they can come and look at the product if they want to. So I think location is important, but we're not in the hotspot of the furniture furniture world. We're in a great location that is really accessible to our customers, but Mm. we're not necessarily about acquisition. So when you went around developing these iPads, I mean, as I understand it, they were premiered here mm-hmm. when you opened a few months ago, five months or so ago. Tell us about the development of this, because this is, you know, it's always tricky creating proprietary iPad applications like this, and and uh, and what went into it, and maybe some of the things you've learned in the process, because usually one learns these fun things that have bugs. Um, we work with a great little business called CloudTax, um, and. I think we often look for those partners that are very happy to be kind of agile and work with us on a quite flexible basis um, because we're not necessarily one to commit to things long term because we very much want to try it for the customer and see if it works. Mm -hmm. Um, So they've been a brilliant partner in in that way because we were one of their early adopters, I guess. Um, And so they've been great at working with us to change the UI, to improve things for the customer and to kind of track that so um i still think it's early days we probably still only have about 20 to 30 percent of people actually picking up a tablet Hmm. um if we can get more people doing that that would be better so there's things that we're introducing like videos um in how to use it so that people 
don't just see the tablets and think, what do That's I do scary. with this? Yeah. yeah. But I think in terms of our, our showroom strategy, I, it really is um, a small part of our, mm-hmm. uh, of our, you know, of our marketing um, kind of business. We're really very much about online acquisition and also um, much more far-reaching offline strategy around TV, outdoor, press, etc. All right, let's uh, just uh, zero in on online marketing. And, and how important for you is search? How important for you is social media? And, uh, and if you've zeroed in on social media, what is your general gestalt and, and, and you're trying to drive a social story? So um, search and social are both very important channels for us. Um, we track almost to a daily basis our ROI and performance on a cost per visit, revenue per visit basis. Um, we're seeing social become much more dominant channel. So Facebook um, has has been great for a long time, but they are ad- adapting. Um, all mean they're the closing down the pipe. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, they're they're allowing us to segment audiences uh, a lot more closely, um, and they're bringing out lots of different advertising formats that help us target our customer much more effectively. Uh, they also got very good cross-device tracking, which enables us um, to really understand the play between mobile, desktop, and tablet, which is actually hard to do in search at the moment, um, especially for a business like ours where you don't have to log in to see um, the catalog of products. Um, So we're finding that social is becoming much more dominant, and I think when you get Instagram and Pinterest, which are, again, important channels for us because they're very visual and very much around design, when you start getting e-commerce added to those channels in the UK. They're beta trialing them in, in the US mainly at the moment. Um, I think they'll also be very p- powerful channels like Facebook. So are you encouraging Facebook Connect? I mean, is that something that's important for you? Well, we don't actually have Facebook login at the moment on our site, but it's something that we should definitely look into. But we have a long tech roadmap. And in terms of your social story and, and your editorial line, tell us a little bit about that and, and where do you think that that's moving and, and in terms of your community? Um, I think that's a good question. I think um, we are really focused on content at the moment as a business. I think from not only a search engine optimization point of view and, and really growing organic traffic, which is very important to us, but um, what we know as a brand is that we've been brilliant at producing these wonderful product shots um, and collection of, of products on quite stark backgrounds to allow people to visualize what it might look like in their own home. Um, but actually what I guess we're trying to do with Unboxed is also say, look at how it's also done in someone else's home with their own style against this dark gray wall. Um, so that kind of content we're really trying to play on a lot more at the moment so that people... Um, visitors to the site do get that kind of very crisp view of what the the product is and really hone in on the detail that we photograph ourselves but also get to see it in another context along with that we're also adding in much more content around um, handhelding for the customer so buying guys really trying to help them understand the difference between um, different types of woods or different types of materials that we use in our bed linen for example um, so content will become a much bigger player than it already is today. Annabelle, you're, you, know, you, I know, you know how it is. On, we know how it is online, getting traffic and that drive every day. When we talk about disruption, let's say Uber, Airbnb, mm. 
one does get the feeling that they have created a mindset kind of community mm-hmm. that has driven, you know, so if you now take an Uber, we're in London, all hail to the black cab still because it's beautiful, yet there's a sort of a, um, a tribe of people who subscribe to the Uber story mm-hmm. And even the Uber drivers will tell you, oh, gosh, you know, Uber passengers are beautiful. Made.com is, strikes me as, a, you know, so as you're saying, a disruptive group. And, and you have people who would be prepared to have other customers, strangers, come into the home. So I, I'm, I'm guessing there's a feeling of community. If, if that's the case, qualify it. How, how do you describe the community? And it, by the way, is it a community that includes the makers, or are they sort of still standalones and they don't really sort of talk amongst each other? So I'd say with our customers, I think at the moment it is if you've bought something from Made.com, you you are part of this community that knows about Made.com and loves the brand. And I think Unboxed is a really good testament to that because of this idea of them people putting photos of their own home not incentivized. Um, it, 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 it reminds me of Craigslist. I don't know if you know Craigslist. Yeah. It's out of San Francisco, and yeah. people—it's sort of like an eBay, but it's a home-to-home eBay. And and Craigslist people come over to your home and they buy your thing, and you shake hands and you end up having coffee. And hey, listen, let's get in touch again. So, is, do you feel that there's a little bit of that as well? Yeah. So I think among our customers, definitely. And it's how do you scale that and still keep that um, feel of of a community um, there? Because obviously, we want to be disruptive. We want to take market share um so i think it's how do we continue with that kind of feel of customers helping customers to make decisions um and customers being ambassadors for us so how do you go about that (laughs) do you have the the secret sauce um i think we continue to do what we're doing at the moment it seems to be kind of working well but i think it's it's uh, you know going back to mindset is being very mindful of of keeping the customer at the heart of everything we're doing and um making sure that you know anything new that we bring into the site or the customer journey is is really very much kind of in their favor i think from the design community point of view there's probably more we could do there but we have around 50 designers that we work with at the moment and I think for them for some of them it's been transformational working with us and reminding others of those stories I think is 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 important but essentially we are um a great platform for new designers or um kind of the more established designers to be able to produce beautiful product um, at a fantastic price point mm. and be able to market that to a really wide audience. I have to imagine that amongst the makers, and of course I have no idea about that business, but I have to imagine amongst them there are a bunch of, of them that are a little bit tired of the old distribution techniques. And so you probably recuperate some of those who are like enough already of the, of the big names. I'm ready for a fresher approach. Is that true? Absolutely. And I think with the established designers, that's very much how they feel. And I think with the new newer designers, which we, you know, we will go and talent spot at all the design shows um made.com is a is an exciting brand it's it stands out in the in the sector at the moment and i think an opportunity to work with us is a great proposition for them so um 2015 what are some of the things uh, without do, you know giving big secrets away what are the things that you are most preoccupied by or, or think is most the biggest areas of opportunity for you in the UK market, yeah. it, it is still about very much optimizing the customer experience. So 
we have a good customer experience at the moment. We have um, very satisfactory um, scores in all the different ways that we track and measure performance from the customer. But we Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, we, we, you know, on a monthly basis, we will always be tracking net promoter scores, customer satisfaction. Um, we have an independent review site, Trustpilot. Um, so we're constantly getting feedback from the customer. And um, we're actually very pleased with our performance. Um, that doesn't mean we get it right for the customer all the time. And that's what we need to iron out those experiences. Separately, we also need to optimize the website so we know that we could do a better job on mobile, for example. Um, and that will be a, a big focus for 2015. And then I think going back to a lot of what you're talking about, the offline and, and the storytelling, I think we'll see emergence of that in the brand um, towards the end of this year. All right. Well, Annabelle, lovely to have you on the show. Thanks for doing that. And speaking about made.com, so tell us how would you, someone like you, if you want someone to follow you, I mean, but of course, that can sound so wrong, but you know what I mean, track you down and, and uh, connect with you. Um, I am on most of the social medias under Annabelle Kellner, so Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest. It's all under Annabelle Kellner. All right, well, I'll put all that in the show notes. Thanks for coming on the show. Look forward to following you and following what's ever going on with made.com. Thank you. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, that's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray.
Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.